grace, mercy, and peace are yours through the Triune God. Whether you're listening from far away or next to beautiful Seneca Lake, we hope that through the reading and proclaiming of Scripture, you hear God's wisdom, challenge, and blessing for you today. If you're able to worship with us on Sunday mornings at 9.30 a.m., we at Hector Presbyterian Church would love to share Christ's peace with you. A reading from the book of Nehemiah. There was a great protest of the people against their fellow Jews. Some said, with our sons and daughters, we are many, but we all need grain to eat and stay alive. Others said, we are having to mortgage our fields, our vineyards, and our houses in order to get grain during this famine. Still others said, we have had to borrow money against our fields and vineyards in order to pay the king's tax. We are of the same flesh and blood as our kin, and our children are the same as theirs. Yet we are just about to force our sons and daughters into slavery, and some of our daughters are already enslaved. There is nothing we can do since our fields and vineyards now belong to others. I was very angry when I heard their protest and these complaints. After thinking it over, I bought, brought charges against the officials and the officers. I told them, you are all taking interest from your own people. To the best of our ability, I said to them, we have bought back our Jewish kin, who have been sold to other nations. But now you are selling your own kin, who must then be bought back by us. At this, they were silent, unable to offer a response. So I continued, what you're doing isn't good. Why don't you walk in the fear of our God? This will prevent the taunts of the nations that are our enemies. I myself, along with my family and my servants, am lending them money and grain. But let's stop charging this interest. Give it back to them right now. Return their fields, their vineyards, their olive orchards, and their houses, and give back the interest on money, grain, wine, and oil that you are charging them. They replied, We will return everything, and we won't charge anything else. We will do what you have asked. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. A reading from the letter to the Philippians. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort in love, any sharing in the Spirit, any sympathy, complete my joy by thinking the same way, having the same love, being united, and agreeing with each other. Don't do anything for selfish purposes. But with humility, think of others as better than yourselves. Instead of each person watching out for their own good, watch out for what is better for others. Adopt the attitude that was in Christ Jesus. 
Though Christ was in the form of God, he did not consider being equal with God something to exploit, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a slave, by becoming like human beings. When he found himself in the form of a human, he humbled himself by being obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God highly honored Christ and gave him a name above all names, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee in heaven, on earth, and under the earth might bow, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my loved ones, just as you always obey me, not just when I am present, but now even more while I am away, carry out your own salvation with fear and trembling. God is the one who enables you both to want and to live out God's good purposes. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Scarlet tomatoes, emerald zucchini, peaches so large that just glancing at them from the roadside, I can taste them. Here in farm stand country, I marvel at the beauty of summer's abundance. Jewel-like plums and golden honey remind me of pirate's treasure except it isn't buried, but is on full display. You don't have to dig where X marks the spot. Just drop your bills in the cash box and take your bounty home. Grateful for good food and for the farmers and artisans that bring it to our tables, our neighbors follow this honor system except when we don't. My heart aches to read on Facebook when Julie goes out to the cash box and finds it raided of money, or when a fifth, 20% of the peaches that Wickham's puts out for sale one day are stolen. Even though incidents like these are exceptions to the norm, they still trigger a tightening of the chest, a sinking feeling in, in my gut. My mind sighs, wondering when the trust that carries us through our common life will wear out. Paul's advice to the Philippian church sounds nice, in theory. Don't do anything for selfish purposes. But with humility, think of others as better than yourselves. Instead of each person watching out for their own good, watch out for what is better for others. Adopt the attitude that was in Christ Jesus. But when trust wears thin, at farm stands or in our families, in government or at the grocery store, it makes me wonder, okay, Paul, if I'm looking out for others, 
who's watching out for me? Have you asked yourself that question over the last year? When you wore face coverings and kept six feet of distance? Have you heard that whisper of doubt in the back of your mind as you watched the vaccination numbers plateau in the country and the county? Maybe you have answered it for yourselves. Who's watching out for me? Nobody but me. Now, in this country, scarcely a decade out from an economy tanked by banks and rotten mortgages, it's easy to imagine Nehemiah's anger when he hears how lending practices are starving the people of Jerusalem. He arrived in the city full of hope, hope for rebuilding. But it's hard to build a future when you have to mortgage the present. It's easy to imagine that anger. But since our nation tolerates the existence of billionaires, I suspect we can sympathize with those Jerusalem officials as well. Of course they charged interest for loans. No one will be looking out for what's best for you, except you. You've got to make sure that you're covered. We can imagine them saying, no one can afford to be generous in a time of famine, right? When Nehemiah confronted those elites, he could have read them the riot act from the Torah. Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, he could have quoted multiple verses from each. God's prohibitions against charging interest. Instead, he took a different route. He focused on community. To the best of our ability, Nehemiah said to them, we have brought back our Jewish kin who had been sold to other nations. But now you are selling your own kin who must then be bought back by us. Our kin, our family, these aren't the nameless poor, mere entries in a ledger book. They are your sisters, your brothers, siblings all, and they know it. We are of the same flesh and blood as our kin, the common folk protested, and our children are the same as theirs. And yet our children are sold into debt slavery. What do you imagine those officials felt when Nehemiah charged them with selling their own kin down the river? I can imagine anger. I feel my arms cross, defenses rising. This guy from Persia shows up and tells me how to live? I don't think so. I can imagine shame. Feel my chest tighten again 
the guilt of letting down my neighbors, hardening into shame. I'm sure that I am a bad person. These two are my go-to responses when I read between the lines of those officials' awkward silence. They're my go-to responses in my own life. But they don't have to be. They don't have to be. Shame can yield curiosity. Instead of condemning myself for mistakes that I've made, I wonder, what steps could I take towards making things better? Anger can yield to compassion. Real people, my family even, are suffering. Instead of insulating myself from others' pain or lashing out to hurt someone else, I wonder what might happen if my heart stays open to this pain. These aren't my go-to responses, but I know that they are possible because God's good purposes are not left up to chance. The Holy One personally reaches out to us, enabling us both to want and to live out God's dream for the world. Maybe Nehemiah guilted the Jerusalem officials into giving back the fields and vineyards, promising not to charge anyone any more interest. Guilt can be an effective tactic. Just ask your mother. But I wonder, I wonder how God might have moved within them, reminding them of the holy dream already unfolding in their midst. Can you believe it? The Persian king supports rebuilding the walls, and the residents of the city are excited to collaborate. They've already raised some of the gates from the rubble. Jerusalem might become a thriving city again. Worshippers once more might fill the temple dedicated to the Holy One of Israel. Just imagine. Imagine God moving within them and within us. Because God doesn't stand aloof from a hurting world, no, God always comes near. When creation's maker and lover gave up power without parallel, Jesus was simply taking the divine design to its next step. And the word did not become just any human being, but took the form of a slave. Jesus the carpenter, he wasn't a small business owner. He wasn't a union member. He labored without real freedom, 
building the cities of Galilee for the wealthy. He knew the deep pangs of hunger. He knew the gut emptiness of poverty. God knows it would have been easy, easy to turn his back on the human family to escape our broken world for the realms of heaven. But this is love. Not that we loved God, but that God loved us and stood beside us to reconcile and make all things new. Paul can write, adopt the attitude that was in Christ Jesus because Christ has already adopted us. Paul can urge the church to carry out your salvation with fear and trembling because right now God is enabling us not only to desire a new way of life, but also to live it out in a messy and miraculous manner. We don't do this alone. Christ is beside us. In his letter, Paul marveled how Christ took the form of a slave, a doulos in Paul's native Greek. That word, doulos, has recently entered our English language with a different ending. Doula. A doula assists a pregnant woman in childbirth in a distinct role from a midwife or a labor and delivery doctor. Their primary focus is on the child coming into the world but doulas, like our neighbor, Stacy Woodworth, doulas help birthing women to know their own strength. Christ Jesus supports us in much the same way. When we struggle, Christ speaks to us in comforting tones, saying, my grace is enough for you. When we are afraid, Christ assures us, you are in the right place. I will hold your hand as this future is born. Neither doula nor midwife can give birth for the mother. Only she can push. Christ cannot build the beloved community for us. But like a doula, Christ encourages us, push, you've got this, push. As the country finds its footing again and fights to prevent the mutated form of coronavirus from cutting short thousands more lives, in this season, we get to build back beloved. This endeavor might seem as strenuous as stacking stone on stone in Nehemiah's Jerusalem. Moving 
through anger, shame, and broken trust might approach the pain of labor. And there very well might be moments when reaching out to neighbors to share a bag of bagels or a perfect peach is where God is waiting for us, just at the farm stand. Regardless of the situation, the Savior is beside us, supporting us. The Creator makes possible our desire for the dream of God and, and empowers us to live out our faith, our hope, our trust. The Spirit is calling, beckoning us to join our neighbors in the thick of it all, taking that next step to be with others, to really be with them, to watch out for their good, to welcome a more complete joy. All of this is possible through the abundance of grace in Jesus Christ. And so, dear friends, for such grace, let us give all of our glory, all of our gratitude to God, three in one, one in three, whose image is community. Amen.